Author and historian Kevin Kokomor is with us in today's broadcast talking about Florida's Spanish history regarding how uh, Spanish culture and Spanish exploration uh, shaped much of the southeastern part of the country. And uh, Commissioner David O'Keefe is with us, Leon County Commissioner for District 5, with some very important news. Stay with me. Tallahassee Talks with Brian Cerny, brought to you by Widden Glass, Tallahassee's first name in glass for your home or office, and by Merry Maids. Call Merry Maids. Relax. And it's done. In 1945, Jack Whitten started a glass company in Tallahassee. Now over 75 years and three generations later, it's still working every day, doing just as Jack wanted, giving his customers real solutions for replacing window glass, providing custom-cut mirrors, and supplying superior bath and shower enclosures. Local building contractors know Whitten Glass takes care of Tallahassee business. They prefer Whitten because of their precision and mastery of eye-catching storefront glass and countertop glass. It's a fact. When you choose Wooden Glass, you're working with real glass people who will take care of you to your complete satisfaction. It's what Jack Wooden wanted, and it's been the Wooden way of doing business for over 75 years. Wooden Glass, Tallahassee's first family in glass since 1945. Call Wooden Glass today or visit them online at 222 5781 or Well, my friend, we're back together again on this occasion, no matter where you may be at the moment. If you're listening on 93.3, Real Talk in Tallahassee, welcome. Uh, bright and early every Saturday morning there at 7, 7 o'clock on Real Talk. And of course, on our own home station, Moose Magnificat, streaming 24-7, all local, all original, all the time. The music that we call the Sound of Tallahassee, local musicians playing their original works, Saturday mornings at 9, and then we do a re-airing on Sunday afternoons at 3, and again on Wednesday afternoon, 5.30. Plenty of opportunity for you to be a part of this broadcast. Of course, you can find us online anytime, TallahasseeTalks.com. If you want to suggest a topic or you have a question or suggestion, that email address is topics at moosemagnificat.com. All right, so with today's broadcast, we have uh, this remarkable uh, uh, educator, historian, author, and uh, Kevin Kokomore, his, uh, his latest contribution, La Florida, uh, which is basically a tracing of the influence of Spanish exploration, Spanish culture, and particularly um, the Spanish conquistadores that made their way um, quickly through this part of the, the country. And uh, all that that means in terms of not just how Florida developed, but the southeastern portion of the United States and its influences then with the French and the British opportunities because they saw the Spanish taking advantage of what was otherwise a rather uh, primitive uh, 
situation, that is to say, undeveloped in terms of European interests. Of course, the native populations were completely unprepared for such an onslaught. Nonetheless, uh, they did their best to try to stand up against uh, the brutality of uh, Spanish conquistadors. But uh, anyway, Kevin uh, Kokomor, this remarkable author, he's going to bring all of that to us. Uh, he'll be with us in the second hour of today's broadcast and talking then about local history as well and how it plays out for North Florida, Leon County particularly. So I think you're going to find his comments rather informative and uh, interesting. And in the first hour, uh, our very beloved Leon County Commissioner for District 5, David O'Keefe, is with us. We're going to look back through the chapters of 2023 for the county, for the city, and for the region. And and, uh, uh, Commissioner O'Keefe is now just finishing up his first term, his first year of office. And uh, lots to learn from his experiences thus far. Uh, tough decisions that have been face, facing uh, all of us and that the county commission has taken under advisement, trying to figure out things like how do we, how do we make uh, life better for even the most impoverished among us? How do we provide uh, more opportunities for affordable housing? And we're going to get his intake, uh, his input, I should say, on or his take on how we can uh, make progress in those areas and some of the obstacles that you might find rather puzzling <laughs> coming from some of the people you would think would not be in opposition to the, such such progress. But there they are. And so then it begs this question, uh, how is it that our own history, let's say, as a region and particularly uh, economically, uh, how much of that plays into the mentality we find among those who are in business, those who have wealth, those who have property, and those who are elected officials or employed by city or county, how how all that decision-making then plays into what might be some age-old interests, and I mean rooted in our own cultural history and and those uh, people who come from that background. Remarkably, we're finding that the population has shifted dramatically here because of people coming to the Tallahassee-Leon County area from other parts of the country and other parts of the world. And it's changing, I think, the way in which we go about even discussing the problems that we face. And so we'll talk with uh, Commissioner O'Keefe about things like public transportation, uh, in addition to the uh, business of affordable housing. And we'll touch on uh, things like the blueprint monies that have been allocated for projects that were questionable, we'll say. In some cases, highly uh, contentious and controversial, the funding of uh, uh, the remodeling of Doe Campbell Stadium or improvements to uh, Doe Campbell Stadium in some fashion. So topics of that kind that uh, characterize, I think, 2023. Now, this is um, uh, coming coming down to the end of the year, but uh, this particular broadcast comes, of course, prior to our Christmas broadcast, which will be next Saturday. And we will take the opportunity to uh, 
bring lots of good music from local artists, a lot of Christmas tunes, carols and hymns and such. And believe it or not, we got a ton of that music, courtesy of our friends at Moose Magnificat and all of these fine artists that have given their talents to bringing us Christmas cheer, tidings of great joy, we might say. So that happens in our Christmas broadcast a week from uh, today. And then on the 30th, we will have our year in review uh, for 2023. And that's an annual thing we do here too. Looking back at uh, those issues and those uh, people who have been the most uh, notable from our point of view, some of the guests that we've had uh, that we want to recall. And for that, uh, we've invited our good friend Tom Flanagan to join us. So Tom will be with us on that end of the year annual review of 2023. Tom Flanagan, the noted journalist and news guy for uh, for many, many years here in the community, uh, the program director for news at WFSU Public Media, or as he likes to say, he's a news nerd. And he, indeed, he is the guy who people love to talk to because he listens so carefully and is able to retell uh, people uh, various news items and stories and such uh, without a lot of uh, editorialization. And that really, I think, characterizes Tom. And it's why he's so highly respected and trusted uh, here in the uh, community. A couple of announcements for you. Let's see here. Uh, Leon County Library has all kinds of winter wonders going on. Exploring science now through January. And this is the magic of winter that meets the wonders of science during their Winter Wonders Exploring Science programs, all happening at Leroy Collins Leon County Public Library System, various locations around the county. And let's see, what have they got here? So coming up uh, uh, Saturday, the 6th of January, let's see, this goes from 1 to 3 at the Jane G. Sauls Fort Braden Branch Library. So the community can experience Winter Wonders Exploring Science at these various locations. Uh, another would be uh, Thursday, January 11, and that's at the Woodville Branch. And then the 13th, which is a Saturday, uh, Saturday the 13th of January, that'll be at the Lake Jackson Branch. So check it out online. Go to uh, leoncountyfl.gov, Leon County uh, Library System, serving you with all kinds of great activities in the weeks ahead. Stay with me. I've got uh, David O'Keefe standing by. David O'Keefe is commissioner for District 5 Leon County and has been serving the good people of District 5 along with many of uh, our county residents and by extension city folks and peoples around the area for these number of months and uh, did, has done so, I think, with a kind of, um, in my humble opinion, a kind of uh, sincerity and, and candor uh, that I have found refreshing. Um, but it has happened now on the uh, few occasions we've been fortunate enough to have him on the show that we get, a, I think, a pretty straight shot with this guy. You know, if, if he's biased, he's willing to say, this is my bias. Um, and uh, I like that, you know. And uh, at the same time, I don't have to worry about him 
pulling any punches and you just kind of lay it out there. So we thought it would be appropriate here as we close out 2023 uh, to have an opportunity to speak with this fine man, uh, Commissioner David O'Keefe. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. You look well. Um, glad to know that you haven't <laughs> thrown your skirt over your head and run from the room screaming after we've been been at this now for how many? Let's see, One year. Just a year? One year. And let me tell you, it continues to be the best job I've ever had. Seriously. A year from now, check in with me again. But this is by <laughs> far. Sure, there's frustrating moments, but this is by far the best job I've ever had. I think the last time you were here, that uh, was on the heels of decidedly you were you were frustrated with the lack of progress because what was supposed to be this uh assembled uh gathering of commissioners and you know the, the agenda at hand just got completely decimated in terms of giving instruction to those yes charged with the task now I'm remembering which lack of progress I was frustrated <laughs> about yes yes yeah I think this was this was one of those moments when you, you were really uh, stressed beyond what you had expected. You, there's a certain level of stress. I know you go into it thinking, okay, this is the job. But I think on that occasion, it was what I got from you then was on behalf of us mm-hmm. who are waiting on decisions to be made for projects that are to be funded, and now we haven't addressed those things. So now that the can gets kicked down the road, and I know that it, at that time it was going to be another month or better. I don't know. It ended up being three months. Yeah. And it was mostly over one project that most people had never heard of until that summer, mm-hmm. uh, which was unfortunate. Which was what? Do you recall? It was the Northeast Park. Oh, I that's hesitate right. to even I hesitate to even oh, say that's the word. Right. It was the Northeast Park, and um, certainly <laughs> everyone in the Northeast was known about it. But um, for some reason, oh, everybody got real right. interested in it. And I'll, I'll leave it there. I'll say that I have... No, you don't have to worry because I did some deep digging on that now that you've brought, brought that to my mind. Yep. And, it, and, and, and the question became, what else is at stake here? And is it just a personal sort of thing uh, that, that Brian Welch You said himself, it, not me. No, I mean... You said it, not me. That's what I'll say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was. You know, he, he's, he's the commissioner there for District 4. Yeah. And the idea was, hey, let's, let's do this Northeast Park. And then as it came before the uh, commissioners, you know, the question was, well, is this really the best way to do this? Is this the best use of the money? All this stuff kind of being thrown up in his face at what, uh, I mean, could be said was at the last minute sort of feeling. It was just like, you wait till now, and now you're going to, and as you say, that ended up just uh, derailing what was otherwise the, the purpose of that whole assembly. Yes, it did. Hmm. There's an interesting way I've kind of, started to think about and deal with that, especially at blueprint meetings, um, but also at county commission meetings is I'm going to advocate and fight uh, and use every strategy I have to get the votes for what I think is best for people. And it can be very frustrating when Mm. others don't vote that way. But I have to remind myself that the voters voted for them too. And so my responsibility is to do everything I can to, to try to convince the majority of votes for the right thing which is sometimes opposite the majority on on a commission or a joint commission. But at the end of the day, they won free and fair elections. You know, that does make you a bit unusual, I think, in this way, that uh, what I hear in your comment is a respect for the process 
and a respect for the rights of citizens who are the voters here, uh, that is a that is a perspective that is not often uh, presented, I think. And I, I, I respect the fact that um, there are those uh, among your colleagues and uh, among the city commission uh, that uh, don't have that posi- position. They, they have them say, tell me to heck with the process. We don't care about process. We want our agenda to move forward and no matter what it takes. Uh, I think that's a unhealthy status. I think it's unhealthy to take that perspective because I think we end up uh, on the, we can easily end up on the receiving end of that, right? We absolutely can. And I, you have to remember, even if you're trying to cheat the process for your own, what you think is good. Yeah. Um, Wait till it gets turned on it. Now you're What turn. is that? What's, yeah. what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Right, right. And so, um, I, I, you know, I'm always careful with that. And, uh, you say it's an unhealthy, the, the other way is, is perhaps an unwa- unhealthy way of thinking about it. Uh, I do think of this term as an experiment in very healthy uh, political representation. And yeah. in, in 2026, we'll see what District 5 thinks about it. I love the fact that you have this mathematical, uh, arithmetic approach to how you view things. And so, not to lean on that too heavily, but I always think of you sitting there with with your balance sheet in front of you and and the debits and the credits have to at some point they have to uh balance out and and so with that in mind here we are uh, at the end of the year and i'm curious uh, what you see us having accomplished since really that we could talk about all the you know stuff we're disappointed in yeah but have we made any progress? Have we have we achieved some things that you were hoping we would achieve, or maybe that you weren't personally involved in directly? But what's your uh, kind of the state of the of of the of the of the county at this point? I think the county and, and I'll, I'll extend it to Blueprint. Um, the county and Blueprint have made more progress than perhaps we realize. Mm-hmm. Not enough. Not as fast as it should be, but. There are things that have happened that I don't think would have been voted through before my election or, or, um, mm-hmm. a, or before other recent elections. And, for example, uh, when it comes to affordable housing, zoning issues are one, one of the many things that can slow down affordable housing. The county changed the ordinance on ADUs, accessory dwelling units. Think like, you know, uh, a little... Um, tiny home or a mother-in-law suite and we changed the zoning on minimum size requirements um, that prevented about 10,000 lots in Leon County from building a reasonably sized uh, up to 800 square foot add-on if their home wasn't already very large we changed that and so now now not 10,000 lots are going to do it they still have to want to do it afford it and, and and all that but now they qualify for that. It's easier for those homes and lots if somebody wants to add on a little extension to rent out or have a family yeah, member yeah, live in, yeah. they can. Um, and that's without penalty. Without penalty. Yeah. Um, and then I think so. Of, that just says we're opening up this as an additional way in which more affordable housing could be provided, right? More of that very specific kind. Yeah, yeah. And then we look at the 
recent blueprint vote that is leading to in February, we will be discussing whether to start the process to allow us to use some of that money for affordable rental housing. I don't think that vote would have passed last year. Interesting. That was a close vote. And I don't think that there would have been a majority vote to win that. Now, some of the commissioners who voted for it said specifically in the meeting, I'm voting to let this process move forward and hear from citizens, but I'm not likely to make the, you know, to vote Uh, yes to change it. uh, And so those of us who think it's a good idea have a lot of advocacy to do, mm. but that's an example of we don't have a bird in the hand yet, but I don't think we would have even gotten that far Mm. um, more than a year ago. And it happens that uh, there are a lot of players, we'll say, in that uh, discussion, and we can get into talking about that a little further. We've got Commissioner David O'Keefe, District 5, Leon County, with us for the hour, and we are going to continue this conversation, so stay with me. In 1853, John Mason Neal wrote the lyrics for A Christmas Carol, telling the story of a good king who went out on the Feast of Stephen to bring food and firewood to a poor peasant. The king's page complained of the bitter cold when this saintly king instructed him, follow in his footsteps. With each step, his feet were warmed along the journey. Thomas Helmore sent the inspiring lyrics to a 13th century tune and gave us good king Wenceslas. And now you know... Another Christmas story. From Ray Gordon Brake Service, the brake experts on Greer Road providing solutions from ASE certified mechanics. Call 850-386-6133. Wooden glass on South Monroe since 1945. For window and plate glass, custom bath enclosures, and storefront glass, 850-222-5781. And Moose Magnificat Radio, streaming online at moosemagnificat.com. All local musicians, all original songs, all the time. Download your free app at Moose Magnificat. Magnificat.com. We're back. We're talking with Commissioner O'Keefe addressing affordable housing, which nationally, of course, is uh, probably the most, one of the most critical issues, uh, certainly true here. When you see the disparity of incomes, uh, there's this massive divide between people who can afford uh, adequate housing and those who are, are just not able to do so and the availability of that affordable housing. Absolutely. And it's a nationwide problem, but Florida is one of the worst. The really? stats, Florida has one of the worst uh, availability of affordable housing. Wow. And Leon County is part of that um, stat. Yeah. And in fact, that speaks to some of the efforts that have been made uh, some of the uh, NGOs and some of the charitable groups and over, and they've all, I don't know, the people that I've talked to have kind of thrown up their hands and they said, you know, we just can't seem to get there from here because as one person told me who is in, who actually is an owner of a large contracting company, building company, he said, you know, somebody can go in there and they put up what they call affordable housing, you know, and it's a, you know, a multi-unit, apartment complex, right? Uh, but the rents for those uh, units are hardly affordable for a family even of three or four people, uh, and yet they qualify under some provision. Explain that to me. How does that happen? Sure. Well, first I'll preface with it's hard to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Ah. Uh, and I'll say that, you know, in that example, I don't know which subsidy or, or qualifying they're getting, but I can talk to what we have in Leon County 
and what uh, what the reports from the uh, Schumberg Housing uh, Center at UF, which does most of the reporting, um, and does some Leon County specific reporting shows is, and I'm, and this is a big question people ask: What is affordable? Yeah. Some people I think ask it in not you in bad faith, and they say, "Oh well, let's not. We don't even know, so let's not make a change. Not even try. Let's not even try." Uh. I am narrowing my focus in on affordable rental housing. Uh. And the reason is, to me, the difference between being homeless and being homed is rent, not whether you can afford to own a home or not. Uh. And we already have a lot of our previous local programs are guiding towards homeownership because that is the American dream. But affordable rental housing is your monthly income, only 30% goes to your housing costs. And that's really unlikely for most people mm-hmm. it is if more than 50 percent of your a- averaging or your monthly income goes towards housing costs rent utilities mm-hmm. then you are extremely cost burdened it's really not affordable and so that's the number so if we look at our average monthly income in a certain area a certain family size is the rent more than 30 percent of that is the rent more than 50 percent of that and the answer for 14,000 renters or hopeful renters in Leon County is yes. Mm. There is not affordable housing Mm. at 30% of their income or even 50% of their income. And that disparity of income is is a topic that keeps coming up for us here because it it, it, uh, so oftentimes, whether we're talking with somebody who represents uh, social services of some kind, um, Children's Home Society, uh, children's services, you know, they, they're always talking in terms of the history, uh, this this idea that Leon County is entrenched mm-hmm. uh, generational poverty, and that uh, Leon, uh, that as as a county, we have the the greatest incidence of income entrenchment, low income entrenchment, and so when it comes to affordable housing. We're trying to solve that on the delivery end, but what are we doing to make it possible for people to lift themselves up out of an impoverished history? You want the answer on how to fix it? Yeah. The, the, um, Have you got that handy? Cause... Well, what comes to mind is um, this, this area was definitely primarily slave economy, and then also... Um, even after the end of slavery, you had Reconstruction, this period mm-hmm. where a lot of black neighborhoods and families and communities were very successful in getting out of poverty and establishing successful businesses and stuff. But you had a a, a violent and, uh, and, and, and I think it's fair to say racist um, effort in our community and others at a time to, to, to kill that. Segregate. And to mm-hmm. segregate and yeah. to, to, to prevent that progress. And I, and I think that that's not far in our past. And no. if you're born into a family that experiences poverty, you have a lot more work to do to get by than you do if you're born into a family that has comfortable, st- mm-hmm. stable housing and food or wealth or something Ownership. like that. Ownership, and, yeah. And the reality is if it's so much work that you have to put your energy into surviving, mm. to then get stability, hopefully, and then to then thrive. Mm. And so it's, you know, you start on first base, and second base is just feeling comfortable that you have a place to, mm. to mm. lay your head and jacket to wear to school. When it's cold out, 
the incidence of abstinence from Leon County schools is so much higher because kids don't have jackets mm-hmm. to wear to school when it's cold. And, and I say all this to, to come back to your question of, uh, it may be mindset, it, you know, I don't know, it touches everything, so I don't know where you mm-hmm. would need to categorize it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, to me, I think it's as much as, where is your starting point mm-hmm. and how far behind or ahead of a stable meeting all your health and safety needs are you? Mm-hmm. And I don't think, in, in a way, you don't wanna set low expectations for people. However, I don't think it's fair to assume that someone who starts uh, through no fault of their own and and no fault of their families, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. way behind having to meet their needs, is going to have the energy, capacity, resources, connections to get into politics or leadership or decision making right. uh, as someone who starts at or ahead of the line and doesn't have to spend time focusing on meeting their basic needs. Indeed. I suppose if it comes down to it, there are ways in which uh, the county commissioners can uh, initiate or install, I suppose would be the right way, uh, policies that that encourage people to rethink uh, where they, what options they have. And I mean, does the county look at it from the standpoint of how do we better educate young people growing up in these situations? How do we better uh, provide for them? I know the county libraries do a lot to try to yes. make uh, information of, uh, accessible and computers and, and uh, food. And food and case social workers. Mm. Uh, we have those in the main library. We have uh, any library. It was over the summer, and I believe it continues. Uh, any child who comes into the library, there's snacks and food for them. Uh, our main library on certain hours during the week, there's a social worker. You yeah. can drop in and they'll connect you. And so the county does. And I will say all, all the commissioners and the staff uh, and leadership certainly know we need to do that and know that it, it comes mm-hmm. down to none of this stuff is an easy fix, but there's a lot we could do that we're not doing. Mm-hmm. A lot of it comes down to money and just the resources. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to say how are we going to educate and provide safe and stable resources for uh, young children in in uh, neighborhoods that are experiencing low income and poverty, but the mat- the point is you got to put resources behind it, you got to put money behind it, and I think the way I see it is we're doing more than we have in the past, and it that is let's see how it goes, and that's that's okay. To me, we can do more, and we need to do a lot more. I, I really think that's why for a lot of us, and I'll put myself in this same group. Uh, when we looked at how monies were distributed in mm-hmm. 2023, uh, Blueprint money particularly. Uh, I thought we'd get out of here without mentioning Blueprint. No, no, all not. right. No, because, you know, the, 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 the egregious part of that speaks exactly to what you've described. Um, your, your colleague from across the pond, uh, Commissioner Matlow, put it this way to me. He said, you know, you give $24 million uh, to this project and you're ignoring the fact that you've got a significant number of people in this population that are struggling. And I mean not just trying to figure out how to, how to build that next carport they need mm-hmm. for their new car. They're struggling with whether the day is going to yield food, shelter, uh, opportunity, transportation, if they have jackets for their kids to wear to school. 
you know, and he said, that's like your, your kids are going without and you're installing a saltwater swimming pool for your next door neighbor. Uh, I don't think I'll ever forget that. And it, and it, and it is, it is in 2024 to me, that is where we're at. We have to focus on that, that question more strongly than we ever have. Folks, we've got uh, Leon County Commissioner District 5, David O'Keefe, with us. See if we can keep him on board for just a little bit longer because this guy is busy, man, I want to tell you. And uh, we're glad you're here, so stay with me. Widden Glass has been taking care of business since 1945. When you call Widden Glass, you're dealing with experienced, reliable professionals who offer only the best. Like Widden's top-of-the-line bath enclosures that provide style and luxury at an affordable price. Eye-catching storefronts are a specialty at Widden Glass. We'll help you design it and install it. Widden Glass, the first name in glass replacement. Call 222-5781. We're back. And uh, so far, David, we've, we haven't really solved any problems yet. But I'm eager I, and I'm hopeful. I think that you're pointing us in the directions that we need to strongly consider as we go forward here in the year ahead. And it sounds like um, it's going to be a matter of bringing to leadership people who are focused on the needs of individual people and individual neighborhoods and not kind of uh, categorizing, well, the, this, these people are more deserving than others, right? Yes. And then uh, decisions being made that, that uh, organize county funding and, and programs that aren't just chat rooms. You know, they, they, that's the other thing. Um, so many times I've talked to people in leadership and they, they uh, talk, uh, when we're talking about affordable housing, they just say, you know what, I got out because we have meeting after meeting after meeting and these people love to talk. Yes. But they don't do anything. Correct. And it's something, uh, you hit on something that I would encourage people to don't pay attention to what your commissioners say. Pay attention to what they vote. And that's why I've started putting out summaries um, of on a graphic on a day or two after each commission yeah, meeting. Yeah. It says, here was the motion. Here's what we did. Here's what the votes were. Because it, it doesn't matter as much what we say. It matters how we vote. Yeah. And that's something I want people to start seeing. Well, in those votes, it seems to me, have been uh, timely. Uh, I've been watching your uh, presentations online. Um, Thank you, it, you and my wife and my brother. <laughs> well, you know, people that really care. Yes. Uh, but the rest of us, too, who look in and say, now that's an easily understandable uh, presentation of what can be very complex issues. But I like the fact that you bring it out in pretty simple terms for even a guy like me to figure it out. Um but for I guess what, when you look forward now for 2024, uh, clearly the, the issues we've talked about are, are uh, high on your list. What other things are you focused on that we need to know about? Pedestrian and cyclist safety. You don't go barely two or three weeks without a cyclist or a pedestrian in our county or in, in our region being 
uh, killed in an, a- in an accident or uh, seriously injured. And it's something that I've been digging into with uh, another board. I'm on the Capital Regional Transportation Planning Agency, and we need to focus more on that. Uh, it's, it's a matter of when we decide how we build a road, mm-hmm. do we prioritize the speed of traffic and how fast cars get there? Versus how do we start prioritizing people who don't necessarily want to drive a car? They want to walk. They want to bike mm-hmm. without worrying about a death sentence. And, and I say that um, to say coming next year is, one, I'm hoping more people will um, – I've heard from more people in recent incidences mm-hmm. where they say, I want to do something about this. And I would say the thing to do is let other commissioners know. I know it's important, but let other commissioners know. Mm-hmm. And then the comp- there's our comprehensive plan. Uh, I will try to make this – very short. Our comprehensive plan is the rules for how we build. So you go to those commission meetings where they're building something next to your neighborhood and the commissioners say, I'm sorry, I have to, by law, follow the rules and these meet the rules, even though I think it's bad. But we're changing the rules. We change them every so often. And so over the next couple of years, the comp plan is changing and we can put anything we want in the rules, but once they're in, we got to follow them. So we've been doing a community input uh, this fall, and the consultants just did an update, and I was really heartened to see that of all the responses they got from the community, the highest priority things were equitable uh, growth. They were, um, what do we need improvement? The top three concerns were government transparency and communication, availability of housing options, safe bicycle and pedestrian options, wow. and then where do we need improvement? availability of housing, safe bicycle and pedestrian, transit access and coverage. And so my hope is that that translates over the next year into the draft changes that we get. And so um, I've really been pushing that and I've appreciated Mm -hmm. some of the 500 citizens who have weighed in and said that's what's important. uh, Star Metro comes to mind in that. So we talk about transportation. I've always wondered about that. You know, I grew up in a big city. I grew up in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, my dad took the bus to work every day mm-hmm. for 42 years. Even in Jacksonville for years, my dad did the same. I mean, we don't have that here. We don't. And that that's a, I'll stop and say that's a city-run yeah, thing. it is. Uh, now, the overall system, so part of the reason we have so many, who's responsible for all these pedestrian and cyclist fatalities? And I'll say that from a government perspective, the the overall collection of governments that created the system of transportation that we have as it stands, it's our responsibility to fix it. And so um, I would love to see more Star Metro. Um, And I am a citizen of the city and I I have strong opinions, but sometimes someone will say to me, well, if I wanted to do the city, I should run for the city commission. Uh, But you're right. I I would love to see that. And honestly, that's what makes an attractive city for people. Right. Uh, Not just hit bars. We've got those covered. Right. Uh, Right. But being able to walk or bike or ride the bus, it's what it's what people like to do when they decide where to live. You know, we 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 talked about this you and I before, and th- that has to do with the influx of people coming from other parts of the world, other parts of the country, to where now I think it's seventy uh, percent of the population locally, city and county, mm-hmm. uh, are people who are not native to this area. Well, they're coming with that other point of view. They're coming with other points of view, including transportation and various kinds of services, and asking the same question. What the heck, man? You want to be a modern city 
you want to maintain all of your southern charm well that's fine but you're not on the same field man you're 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 playing an old game over here you know i have to say it it kind of reminds me of our romantic notions about you know college athletics sorry to bring it up uh, but you know i mean guys i don't know if you've noticed between las vegas and disney uh the sporting world on television is wrapped up in ratings and money and ad dollars you can't watch a sporting event without looking at the naming rights every field and every billboard out there is all about this commercial uh development well okay so we want to be that strong american city we got to get we got to get more than just you know oak trees and spanish moss and antebellum houses we got to look at where we are in serving this population with the kinds of things you're talking about. Absolutely. And I think it comes back to the question you asked about how does our history as a community lead to how things are now. And I'll just say that I don't think our leadership class are bad people. But I have found that most people in leadership that make decisions, whether they be elected officials or heads of boards of influential organizations, uh, not all of them, but they may have come from or been part of a family or neighborhoods or uh, golf associations that come from a history of being comfortable and, and having in leadership. And they truly believe from their perspective, this is what's important. And they, what, what I like is when we can bring more voices of people who know how critical these other issues are. So um, it's, I think we're getting there um, slowly and not fast enough. And it's part of the problem of, of how we got here and um, remembering that uh, it matters what you think is important and Mm. often what it doesn't have to be, but often, um, the amount you immerse yourself or have been immersed in different people's struggles, needs, and lives, the more you can understand what everybody needs. And the reality is a rising tide lifts all boats. Yes. All of these things are going to help businesses. If people can afford rent and only spend 30% of their income, I got to tell you what, those folks are not opening stock market accounts. <laughs> They're going to be able to shop at the store that they weren't able to Indeed. before. Indeed. Uh, so it's going to help everybody. Well, you certainly have helped us better understand and appreciate the the issues at hand. And uh, Commissioner, uh, I know you you I hope you know this. You have an open invitation here anytime that we can steal you away from all that you're doing and appreciate all the the commitment to not just uh, these particular topics, but it seems to me you you keep a pretty open uh, view of everything that's it's affecting us whether it's within District 5, the county, the city, or the region. David O'Keefe, Commissioner. And I will take you up on that, Mike. I'm coming back with a history of how we got where we are with Blueprint Projects. Oh. I can't wait to bring that back to you. All right. Well, we'll make a date. Um, Can we do that next month in in January? Would that be too soon? It depends on when I get my homework done. Uh, should be fine. <laughs> well, get your homework done and then get back over here and, and help us better understand where we're headed. All right. Thank you so much. Commissioner David O'Keefe, District 5, Leon County, our friend and a friend of this community for all, for many, many years, we hope uh, he'll be in service to uh, this region. 
Uh, folks, that is our portion of the show at the moment with uh, Commissioner O'Keefe. You stay with me. We've got more coming up after the top of the hour. You're in tune with Tallahassee Talks. Welcome back to the second hour, Tallahassee Talks with Brian Cerny, reminding you that we are here on the uh, few days ahead of the Christmas holiday. And uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family, your loved ones. If you're traveling, be sure that you are careful in your travels. Uh, don't take undue risk. Uh, make sure you're rested and, you know, all that good stuff. Being staying hydrated is important, believe it or not. You know, we do a lot of parties and all these things, and we tend to maybe drink a little bit more alcohol than we're used to. Well, you know, or we're staying up later than we're used to. Hydration is important, keeping your brain sharp, right? Okay, well, enough said that. Um, here's an activity that you want to know about, and this is called Youth Golf. Uh, at the historic Jake Gaither Golf Course. And this is organized youth golf, coming back to the city's historic Jake Gaither Golf Course. And there's still a few few spots left available for the inaugural First Tee Tallahassee class. You should check this out. Uh, First Tee Tallahassee meets on Tuesdays. Uh, through uh, February 13th. You want to find out if they still have some openings here. This is an eight-week session uh, whereby your youngster can uh, learn the game, and they meet uh, Tuesdays from 5 to 6.30. So if you want to find out more about that, where do you go? Well, go to jakegathergolf.com. Go online and learn about youth golf programs there. Um, In addition, let me point out, too, that uh, we have great news coming by way of our friends at Christmas Connection. You know, our annual campaign concluded on a high note with um, the fact that the folks with Christmas Connection have reported some record numbers of donations financial gifts, uh, all kinds of help that has come by way of their efforts. And, of course, our annual advertising campaign we call Help Us Help Christmas Connection. Um, We're going to be posting for you on our website the uh, uh, outcome of all of this effort. And those numbers are coming together now, but already we're getting preliminary reports from the officials with Christmas Connection, that this has really been a fantastic year. So congratulations, Tallahassee, stepping up and helping us all uh, bring a little joy there, a little bit of Christmas to families and children in need. Uh, If you want to learn more about our efforts as a campaign, you go to helpchristmasconnection.com, and we will be bringing you more detail as to the outcome for this year's efforts as those uh, are made available to us. Also, of course, during the holidays, we've got to remember to stay safe. Tallahassee Fire Department is reminding us to uh, keep the wreath green. Okay, so the Tallahassee Fire Department has placed its beautiful holiday wreath at Dorothy Oven Park once again for the season. This program, entitled Keep the Wreath Green, 
is now in its 14th year. And it serves as a visual reminder to you and I uh, of the importance of maintaining home fire safety during the holidays. And with colder temperatures, it's easy to forget that your wood-burning stove or the you know, the kerosene heater, if it's too close to the drapery, uh, can end up in horrible tragedy. So, over the next month, Tallahassee Fire Department will place will replace one of the wreaths, 50 green bulbs, with a red, red bulb each time a residential a fire occurs in our area. So, we don't want that. We want this wreath to stay green. And uh, it is on display now at... Uh, Dorothy Oven Park there at uh, 3205 Thomasville Road through the 1st of January. And this by way of uh, Chief Gene Sanders, who said the holiday season, unfortunately, can be one of the busiest times of the year for home fires. Uh, you know, decorations and heating equipment, cooking, all, all of those are potential uh, contributors to home fires. So TFD's wreath reminds us Let's be a little more cautious, a little more conscientious and careful. Test all of your smoke alarms. Replace batteries if needed. Keep children away from cooking areas. Have a kid-free zone uh, around the the stove. How about uh, staying in the kitchen while you're cooking? If you're using a fryer or a grill outside, don't leave it unattended. Keep flammable objects away from heat sources. Yes, uh, we mentioned that the... uh, the idea of kerosene heaters always comes to mind. Heat your home only with equipment designed and intended for heating, right? So, all right, so you got that part. If using a real tree in your holiday, make sure that you water it daily. We don't need any dried out Christmas trees catching fire, please. Uh, if you've got light strings that are worn or broken, get rid of them. Not worth it. And you can buy a string of lights for a couple of dollars now. Always unplug holiday lights before leaving the house. Ah, okay. Candles and candle holders have to be on a non-flammable surface. You don't want any melting candle wax to ignite anything. Never leave a candle unattended. And the last thing they'll say here is use a fire screen to keep embers and logs in the fireplace and not falling out there on the carpet or on your wood floor or anything of that kind. So there... All helpful information, safety tips, courtesy of TFD, our Tallahassee Fire Department. Uh, I want to also bring to mind uh, this uh, business of uh, knowing better who we really are. And it is really sort of the theme for today's broadcast with uh, uh, Kevin Kokomore with us in the second hour. And uh, we've just heard from uh, Commissioner David O'Keefe, District 5, Leon County, um, in which we look at what we're connected to. You know, what, what do we hold on to? What do we choose to believe about who we are as a community? Now, certainly you can apply this individually, and oftentimes I encourage you to think about who you are, what you're worth, and why you're here. I mean, those are universal questions, and they're lifelong. And so as we're in pursuit of the answers to those questions, we we gather that from the people we're connected to. And if those people that we're connected to, whether family or friends or associates, uh, neighborhoods, uh, people people who live next door to us or across town from us, but people that affirm uh, what they know to be true about us is helpful. 
And they're at the same time in the position to be able to say, you know, there's one thing about you that I think uh, works against you. So healthy criticism, criticism that can say, you know, Brian, you you say that you care a lot about people and you care about the community at large, but there are some things that you're not doing that you could be doing. Wow, that's a healthy challenge. I need to be open to that. I need to hear where it is that I can make change personally. Well, what do we do for a community that is rooted in a history that does not favor an inclusive approach to solving problems? Not everybody is invited to that table of discussion. Well, how do we foster that? Well, that's certainly what uh, Commissioner O'Keefe is uh, telling us about. But in this next uh, portion of the show, you're going to learn from historian and author Kevin Kokomore that a lot of that is rooted in a kind of conquering mentality, a kind of overcoming and dominating and controlling way of approaching people, whether they are Native Americans or whether they're people from other parts of the country that have come here. It, It really comes back to what do you care mostly about, your own interests or the general interests of all of us. I think for us for us as a community, we're in a position right now, maybe more so than we ever have been, uh, to bring a lot more discussion to the matters at hand, to challenge our own history, to challenge our own uh, presumptions about how we are supposed to be, what we are as a community, and what value we bring to the world as a community and then what is our purpose what can we contribute not just for ourselves not just among ourselves but to the world's well-being what are those things that are unique to this community that we offer up as our way of saying yes we want to be a part and we want to contribute In 1939, a young copywriter named Robert L. May wrote a Christmas poem. The popularity of this little poem grew famously, so much so that ten years later it was the basis of a song written by Johnny Marks and recorded by Gene Autry. May was often taunted and ostracized for being shy and small in stature to capture those emotions as he told us the story of one strange-looking reindeer with a shiny red nose. And now you know another Christmas story. From Ray Gordon Brake Service, the brake experts on Greer Road providing solutions from ASE certified mechanics. Call 850-386-6133. Wooden glass on South Monroe since 1945. For window and plate glass, custom bath enclosures, and storefront glass, 850-222-5781. And Moose Magnificat Radio, streaming online at moosemagnificat.com. All local musicians, all original songs, all the time. Download your free app at moosemagnificat.com. We've got Kevin Kokomore, who is a fourth-generation Floridian growing up in Tampa. Got his bachelor's and master's degrees in history, University of South Florida. Got his doctorate in early American history at Florida State University. So he's back with us again, uh, having been uh, employed with Coastal Carolina University there for many years in Myrtle Beach, where he is, he is a lecturer, right, and such. And so we're going to welcome Kevin Kokomore to the show. Hey, how are Thank you? Thank you very much for having me. Hey, it's I, a I pleasure. It. Excellent. I'm doing excellent. Well, this is good. And and we've got him on, uh, 
we've we've he's on a whirlwind sort of tour because he's got this nifty new book that's entitled La For- Florida. You say it, La Florida, La, La Florida, Flor- La Florida, Catholics, Conquistadors, and other American origin stories, all having to do with uh, some of the interesting um, surprises, perhaps, for a lot of us who who do not re- recognize and or realize the fact that the Spanish uh, were significant in their colonization, right, of America, especially in the Southeast. Colonization, attempted colonization. Yeah, yeah. So this, so what's the impetus? What what moved you to create this next contribution in in your um, telling of American history from a Spanish, let's say, Spanish point of view? Well, so the book just came out. It took me a while to write it and it shepherd it through the publication process. So mm-hmm. when I first started writing it, it was sometime between. Uh, 2020 and 2021. And okay. so there was, uh, first off, COVID was happening, so I didn't have anything else to do but sit <laughs> in my room and write. And second, uh, that, that time was couched really between two important anniversaries. Uh, one had just passed, which was 2019, which was the 400th of 1619, which is um, the first sale of slavery in mm. Virginia. Mm. And then upcoming was... Uh, 2021 and 1621, which was the first Thanksgiving. And when I looked at those together, I said, there's an opportunity here. And I actually used those two to bookend. Uh, the 1621, the first Thanksgiving I use as an introduction, 1619 I use as a conclusion. And uh, those two anniversaries really only make sense if you completely ignore that the Spanish were already mm. there. Mm. And so that was, as you say, the impetus to write it. I, I wanted to, I wanted to write something that would coincide with these anniversaries to remind people that 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 the history that they consider to be this country's sort of original history. I'm not trying to poke holes in anything, but saying that that's one of many. It's only one slice. Yes. Yeah, there's a big story to be told, exactly. and, and you're helping us uh, appreciate that. Bit, yeah, uh, uh, which brings to mind this one point uh, that slavery, and you mentioned, in the United States began long before the English brought enslaved people to the colonies. It started much earlier in present-day Florida. Yeah, that that's something that I worked through during several chapters, or through several chapters, is that is that the Spanish had systems of slavery as well. They were more complicated in a lot of ways because the Catholic Church, because there were natives that were involved in um, the slave trade. And the Spanish history of slavery might be somewhat different. It might be a more complicated legacy, but it's still slavery, and it still involved the West Coast of Africa. Mm. It still involved the Atlantic slave trade. And it transited from the west coast of Africa to mm. the New World and in the United States, or what will be the United States, that was St. Augustine, and that mm. was Santa Elena in South Carolina. And so the first uh, the first instances of unfree people of, from West Africa being brought to what is now the United States was on the East Coast, but it was in the 16th century, the 1500s, not the uh, 1600s, mm. and it was in Spanish-controlled territory. I got you. So in that capacity— you find yourself uh, peeling back these layers and realizing what your point earlier. Absolutely, and and 
to go back to the anniversary, that's such an important and a contested and a political anniversary. It made all the headlines um, uh, because of the 1619 Project and the reaction against the 1619 Project. And for us as historians, you know, we, we look around, especially in the Southeast or the colonial world, and say, these are really important dates. We're not, I'm not... I'm not arguing that they're not important dates, but it's actually a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. And and bringing the Spanish in, you know, f- for instance, and, and I do break this down in the book over the course of several chapters, 1619 is the date that Dutch, basically Dutch pirates, sold slaves to Virginians. But they, ha- they only were able to do that because they had just robbed a slave ship that was Spanish and Portuguese <laughs> in the Gulf of Mexico. And so even the story of Virginia is actually a story of the Spanish presence off the coast of what was La Florida. So you can't escape it. You can't escape the Spanish. Even if you zoom in on just the Virginians, the Spanish are still there. It was actually this development that sparked uh, England's interest in moving forward in colonizing uh, the continent is that fair? Uh, that is absolutely correct, and and I, I wish I could have covered it more. I think in the in my original manuscript, I, I had another chapter, huh. um, maybe even two more chapters about um, about how Spanish colonialism, for all of its violence or exploitation or success or failure, it made Virginians incredibly jealous because they saw the Spaniards, they saw the Spanish basically shipping entire, you know, ships full of gold and silver back from their colonies to Spain. And this was just driving these businessmen like Sir Walter Raleigh and Richard Grenville and Ralph Lane. They were being driven insane by by all of the wealth. And these are the reasons why the British want to come over. They want to emulate the Spanish. They want to Mm. pirate off of the Spanish. They want to attack the Spanish. They want to steal the Spanish steal from the Spanish. In fact, the chapter on Roanoke, uh, which is right dead center in the book, basically makes the argument that Roanoke was supposed to be a a pirate base. Huh. Because if you look at the maps that show how the currents work off of the Gulf of Mexico and, and the southern Atlantic, uh, where Roanoke was in the Outer Banks, that's where all the Spanish treasure fleets sail right by. Hmm. And the very first couple years that that the British under Grenville and under uh, Sir Walter Raleigh, when they set up Roanoke, one of the first things that happens is that Richard Grenville actually overtakes, seizes an entire Spanish galleon full of gold and silver off the coast of Bermuda and sails it back to London. (laughs) Sells the whole thing, makes a huge profit, sells the boat, sells the rigging on the boat, sells the gold, and basically turns around to his investors and says, see, this is why Virginia can work. Where'd you get all that gold? And he just pointed. He got it. This is, or or not Virginia. It was North Carolina at the time, but this is is why colonization in America can work. Their whole business plan was piracy. Wow. You know, there's a lot to be said about how much Spanish influence we see here in Tallahassee. I mean, it's in all of the local infrastructure, goodness, even hotels and motels that bear Spanish names and such. Well, the area's done a pretty good job of preserving a lot of this stuff as well. You can see it in the architecture maybe a little bit. It's, you know, trying to pay homage to this European or this um, Mediterranean style, but... Uh, you don't have to go that far. There's uh, there's uh, a park 
from DeSoto's camp. Right, There's right. Uh, San Marcos de Apalachee down at St. Mark's, which is one of my favorite places. I love every time I was just there earlier today. And then, of course, there's Mission San Luis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it it is um, it is inescapable in Tallahassee. You mentioned the, the, you mentioned that the first Thanksgiving likely occurred because of the Spanish, and my understanding is that there's argument to be made for the first Christmas being celebrated in Tallahassee. There were two Spanish conquistadors that stayed in Appalachia for an extended period of time. Ponfo de Narvaez came before him, uh. but the one that stayed the longest, did the most damage, was in the area uh, the longest in what we now know as what, what, what would become Tallahassee, definitely DeSoto. He okay. moved through. Okay. He was basically forced out by the Appalachian because he stayed there the entire winter, which lines up with if they had a Christmas celebration, that would make sense. Yeah, but yeah. stayed there the whole winter. Because he would have brought all of the Catholic priests with him and all absolutely. of that, Absolutely. Right? And uh, the, the Thanksgiving ceremony hmm. that, that took place was in St. Augustine. Okay. And we don't know a tremendous amount about it because there were only maybe one or two sentences talked about it. But the the priest, Pedro Menendez de Avilas, basically says the governor dines with the natives and it was a feast of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty straightforward. We know we're, we're not totally sure what happens with DeSoto because the only primary source evidence that we have comes from his chroniclers. I see. And, but you're right about the pigs. I mean, he, he, he did take pork here. He's one of the mm-hmm. first, he, mm-hmm. he shows up with pork that have Cuban origins and the pork with Cuban origins had Spanish origins. This is really yeah, yeah. one of the more devastating ecological things that the mm-hmm. Spaniards bring over and they do it on purpose. They, they, they bring pigs over on purpose because they reproduce so rapidly that they very quickly can provide a stable food source. Wow. Obviously, they weren't really worried about the ecological impact that we still mm. struggle with today because it's very difficult. Pigs are like these world-conquering conquistadors, cre- cre- conquistadors <laughs> because you know there is nothing in the southeast that can kill pigs naturally faster yeah. than they can reproduce. We've got a little bit more time here with this very interesting author and lecturer, Dr. Kevin Kokomore. You stay with me. You're in touch with Tallahassee Talks with Brian Cerny. We're back. We're talking with Dr. Kevin Kokomore, who generously has uh, decided to spend his afternoon here with us talking a little bit further now about uh, not only his research, uh, his fascination with Florida history particularly, and this new book he's got, La Florida. Am I saying that right? Yeah, it's close. Okay, La, La Flo- Florida. Yeah, La, La the, Florida. The, the, the accento the accento's over the I. Now, see there, I see it's... If it's, there was one. I'm telling you, it's my my dramatic history, my my Swedishness that I just I see that and I know I'm supposed to, but never mind. So the title the title of the book is La Florida: Catholics, Conquistadors, and Other American Origin Stories. It's available uh, now. Roman and Littlefield Pineapple Press uh, came out just a couple of months ago. And then again, um, we, we want to learn more about where this this journey has taken you. Your 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 path, um, looking at things like barbecue and and the celebration of you know, holidays, Christmas and Thanksgiving. Um, one of the one of the guests we've had before brought us in touch with the Great Florida Cattle Drive, right? Mm-hmm. And they've done these reenactments where you know you try, you're on a cattle drive for 300 miles, whatever. And we learned a lot about cracker cattle. 
and we learned a lot about those early cowboys that were referred to as crackers because of the crack of the whip. And you're saying here uh, the first American cowboys were Native Americans. Well, Florida does have a very long, very deep tradition of cattle. That comes from the exact same Spaniards that brought pigs. Yeah. They brought cattle with them. Yeah. Uh, the the free range tradition is actually, you know, the the free range tradition that that comes to define American cattle tradition is Spanish tradition because okay. these these same Spaniards that uh, that were really good with pigs were really good free ranging cattle in the south of Spain, and so mm. they bring these cattle over. And if you were to if you were to chart the the lineage of cattle. What you know is Florida scrub cattle or or even Texas longhorns. I mean, they all are Spanish retentos and barentas. I mean, they are Spanish breeds that have that have acclimated themselves to Florida and and Texas. The the ones the ones that are the Texas are known for the gate the, the great cattle drives of yeah. like the eighteen sixties and eighteen seventies and eighteen eighties right. before barbed wire. They sort of wandered up from central Mexico because oh. there's you know, no one was really on that property. There weren't any fences, and yep. they just multiplied like, like rabbits. Like pigs. Yeah, like pigs. <laughs> uh, and so, the to a lesser extent, the same thing happened in North Florida. And okay. if you drive, particularly around here, particularly around Gainesville or Ocala, all of those beautiful, open, sweeping savannas that you see, uh-huh. you, those apparently are were the exact same like three four hundred years ago Mm. and the natives used them cyclically to hunt uh and then spaniards came in and these they said these are basically some of the best cattle ranching pastures in the world and so what you have are really early cattle ranches estancias in north central florida yeah. Everywhere from Tallahassee and and San Marcos to Appalachia used to be a port for for exporting cattle and hides. Oh, oh. So they used to be everywhere around here. And those are um, those are that is the lineage of the Florida scrub cattle because they it is a Spanish breed that's basically just been left in Florida and the su- survival of the fittest in Florida. So they're a lot smaller, they're a lot wirier. Yeah, uh, but yeah. they're still cows and. Uh, that that again, once the Spanish are sort of gone from that area, yeah. those ranches are wiped out during sets of wars in the late 17th and early 18th century. But the cattle remain, and uh, Seminoles come in, creeks come in and become Seminoles, and because and because they they see all of the potential of these cattle, so. Yeah, I, I make a, a really strong. There, I don't make it. I I, I show a really strong connection between yep. cattle ranching and the native history of Florida. In fact, uh, one of the points that, I, that I'm uh, aware of here has to do with that. By us, as readers of your work, we begin to dig a little deeper into the Hispanic and Caribbean history, right? Uh, how important all of that was to our early beginnings and how important it is now uh, where, in fact, this Spanish colonial world influenced the discovery and the colonization of the American Southeast. Yeah, so a, a large 
most of the book, you could say, is really about drawing connections mm. between Florida and Spanish colonialism elsewhere. Mm. And so exactly to your point is that Florida is not really the southern extension of the American South, right? It's really the northern extension of the Caribbean. And when Spaniards are moving through the Caribbean, and again, this is not a triumphant narrative. I mean, this is mm-hmm. these are decades mm-hmm. of... of unimaginable exploitation and violence and it leads to the demographic collapse of entire islands Mm. and regions. But Spaniards in the Caribbean are the ones that are sailing through the Gulf of Mexico, having no idea what they're finding, where the next island is. And it just so happens that the next island that they think is the next island is actually the tip of an entire continent. And when you look at how the Spanish physically get to the Caribbean, the currents that move through the Caribbean, the currents have moved through the Caribbean, move into the Gulf of Mexico. Whoever, you know, I, and I use air quotes here because we're using the word discovering mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. A, obviously mm-hmm. a, a Western, like a European perspective. But whoever, quote unquote, discovers mm-hmm. the Caribbean and the current systems is going to be the one that hits Florida. And it challenges us to realize that the key to this history uh, is not what we may have already or have always thought in terms of what I think you refer to as kind of a a country's founding mythology, right? Absolutely. When when you think of the country's earliest history, you don't think of Florida. Yeah. And you don't think of Catholics. That is like the opposite of what yep, you think of. Right. You think of pilgrims. You, even Puritans. you don't even think of Virginia. You think of Puritans, you think yep. of pilgrims, you think of Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, and so you're you're exactly right. Um, this this really sort of is supposed to challenge some of these ideas that you think that 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 to you go to the founding of the nation. Indeed, folks, we've uh, got Dr. Kevin Kokomore here. We're going to continue this discussion. His new book, talking about the influence influences of Spanish in Florida and throughout the country. In fact certainly in the southeastern portion of the country. You stay with me. You're in tune with Tallahassee Talks. Wood and Glass has been taking care of families since 1945. Experienced, reliable professionals who offer only the best, like Widden's top-of-the-line bath enclosures. Eye-catching storefronts are a specialty at Widden Glass, and they provide precise installation. Widden Glass, Tallahassee's first family in glass. Online at WiddenGlass.com. Call 850-222-5781. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And Joseph went up to Bethlehem with Mary, his espoused wife, who was great with child. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. This Christmas, may your heart be filled with the faith and wonder of that first Christmas night. From Ray Gordon Brake Service, the brake experts on Greer Road providing solutions from ASC certified mechanics. Call 850-386-6133. Wooden glass on South Monroe since 1945. For window and plate glass, custom bath enclosures, and storefront glass, 850-222-5781. And Moose Magnificat Radio, streaming online at moosemagnificat.com. All local musicians, all original songs, all the time. Download your free app at moosemagnificat.com. Folks, there are four ways to shine in life, and Merry Maids has it all going on. Experience, reliability, thoroughness, and professionalism. 
Well, that's why we rely on Mary Maids right here at our studios, because, you know, I do need a little shine from time to time. And my friends at Mary Maids can make it happen with guaranteed satisfaction, screened and trained employees, bonded and insured performance, even a free consultation. Mary Maids can customize cleanings to fit most budgets and fit your busy schedule with cleanings on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, or an on-call basis. Mary Maids will deep clean your home on that first visit, something that you've probably been wanting to do, but you don't have to. Call Mary Maids, relax, and it's clean. Right here in Tallahassee, call 386-2205 or find them online at marymaids.com. That's 386-2205. Hi, I'm Josh, and this is an ad for Super Signs. We were going to do an ad that was funny or maybe really dramatic, you know, something clever, but that just didn't work. So... I'm just going to tell you, Super Signs is great. I mean, they're really great. And it's not just me saying it. Lots of people posting and talking to their friends. Here's one. We are so happy with all our signs and banners by Super Signs. Highly recommend. Here's another. These guys are awesome. They run their business with great quality and service. Our lighted sign looks fantastic. I can't rave enough. Super Signs does the really big stuff, like outdoor lighted signs, vehicle wraps, wall murals, and all the banners, the yard signs, and indoor signs, too. So for your business or your birthday party, Super Signs is your sign company. So that's it. That's our ad. Super Signs is great. I mean, really, really, really great. You should call them, 422-1883, or go to their website, yoursupersigns.com. How's that for clever? We're back, and we're talking with Dr. Kevin Kokomore. This new book he has authored, La Florida, Catholics, Conquistadors, and Other American Origin Stories. Where do we go to get this? Can we go to Amazon for the book? Yes, it's it's pretty widely available. You okay. can you can uh, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Sweet. Walmart, all those all those online places. Is this for the history it. only kind of people? Oh no, this is like normal people like me that this just want to read about Florida. Yeah, and, this is the second book that I've written, and the okay. first book that I've written, you probably wouldn't, not a whole lot of people would really enjoy that. That's something that I wrote. For my peers, for Academics. the academic audience, yeah. and my own my own parents wouldn't read that one, so they won't get past the intro on that one. So, but mom, it's my first book. When I sat down to write this, uh, that's what I had in mind. I yep, do not want yep. this to be like my first one. Okay. I want this to be something that everyone. It is academically it's consumable, honest, consumable, yeah. But it's it's good. It's academically rigorous enough to where I could show it to some of my peers yep, and be yep. proud of it. But it's something that my parents would read. Well, I'm. Right there. I, I like the notion. It happens, too, that uh, w- when we talk about the way in which we conceive of our our country, our culture, um, we love to talk about, you know, America being the great melting pot. But what you're pointing to is, yeah, well, guess what? The pot actually melted because there was so much violence and tyranny, uh, if you want to say, and, and savagery that that didn't come just from the Spanish, but it certainly reveals what we otherwise might not have known. And I think of this great cattle drive experience. I mean, uh, one of the lessons we learned out of that uh, presentation has to do with the fact that those families in Central Florida uh, became very wealthy and they were taking their cows down to the southern part of the state, putting them on ships, and they're going back over to 
to Spain or parts unknown, I suppose. But they were being paid in Spanish gold. And so that when the Confederacy collapsed and nobody had any money, those families had all that gold. And there are families there in Central Florida now that still have all of that kind of wealth to their name. There's still some of the biggest ranches in the southeast are still in Florida. They're not in the parts of Florida that they used to be. Like yeah, you said, they yeah, moved yeah. much further to the south. Yeah. Uh you know, above the lake, below the lake, um, yeah, you yeah. know, outside of Arcadia, areas like that. Gotcha. You're if if you you don't have to head even that far out of Tampa. If you just keep going east, you'll get out to cow country pretty quickly. Very quickly. Well, uh if that's the case, and here we are sitting in Tallahassee, uh, you know, we're we're sort of this oddity, aren't we? That here we live in a in a part of, of Florida that is notably uh, more southern Georgia, I suppose, in many respects, from an agricultural point of view, and perhaps from a cultural point of view, and then we have superimposed the fact that we're the state capital. You know, and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, here comes Francis Epps to say, hey, I know, <laughs> let's set up a couple of uh, seminaries, one east and one west of the Swanee, and one's called Florida State and the other's University of Florida. Well, so I like to show maps of Florida, even outside of Florida, even mm-hmm. at, even at Myrtle Beach at Coastal Carolina University, I'll, I'll show a map of Florida and I, and I'll, you know, first I'll, I'll point to where I came from, which is a little south of Tampa. And I'd say there's a huge population in the Tampa Bay area, another huge population in Orlando, obviously the biggest is in Miami. And you would think these are the three, this is the area, most of Florida's population is below Orlando. So why is the capital all the way up in the panhandle? Yeah, yeah. And that's because when Florida was a territory, 1820s, 1830s, 1840s, nobody went south of Ocala. That's a swamp. It's yep. way too hot. Yep. The the no bugs are horrible. Yep. No one wants to live there. I mean, people did live there. It's not that's not totally true, but the masses weren't moving people there. People with money. Until yeah. until air conditioning, yeah. right? Before air conditioning, there was nothing south of Ocala. I mean, right. the the army even let the the Seminoles live south of the swamp because no one envisioned a universe where anyone would want the swamp. And yeah. so when you think about Tallahassee, Tallahassee is a product of its time. When it when it was when Florida was gaining statehood, yeah. the only place that people wanted was the Panhandle and everything north of Ocala because that was cotton. That yeah. was cotton land. That was when the South was expanding rapidly, and the future of Florida was in this cotton belt that extends. Uh, it really is, like you said, an extension of the Red Hills in South Georgia. Indeed, it seems to me what you're helping us better do is is get in touch with historical facts get in touch with the let's say the the real story that's been less romanticized romanticized thank you well one of my favorite things to tell my students is that uh is and and just really tell anyone is that uh we i don't really i'm I'm not in this to tell people that they're wrong to prove that you know what 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 their memories are or what their um what their own history is or what their own traditions are or like you know wrong or problematic but but we as you know as teachers as professional historians yeah, we yeah. we it, everything is so much more complicated sure it's enough. so messier it's complicated it's more contested it's yeah. usually not as simple as you think it is right. and right. and that's something that this book tries to that that I try to convey through this book is that this story that you think is 
that is a very simple, very straightforward story is actually not that simple. If you think of that in terms of um, scientific uh, mentality, a scientific approach, here's, here's what I've discovered in my research. And that's really what this book is doing, isn't it? Absolutely. And people bring in their own sort of thoughts, their own biases, their own history, their mm. own um, nostalgia. You know, it's not, it is, you, you, you bring up like science and a scientific process. And, you know, history is not as objective as people think that it is. Mm. It is in a lot of ways filtered, like, like you said, you know, Francis Epps, they, they're coming from a those those kind of historians, those kind of they they're coming from a different place. They're at yeah. a different time. Different things are important to them. They're trying to make different arguments. It's not as universal. It's not as objective as right. as you would suppose. Right. It, it depends a lot on the person. It depends a lot on what you think is important. What you think is important. It's an interesting uh, notion that truth is really a function of power. And there's the, there's that thesis out there mm -hmm. that says you know the people who have the the power are the ones who write the narrative or at least promote the narrative um valerie schoon i mentioned her to you this invisible history it's called middle florida's hidden roots well there's a great example of how we as tallahassians we look at our antebellum houses and we look at these vast fields and we think oh what a charming place to live and yet what valerie does is come along and say yeah okay well from an historical standpoint, and we'll borrow your phrase, a scientific look at Leon County's history, not so much. Yeah, I don't talk about that um, that era. I don't talk about the 1820s, 1830s. But even if you go back to you know what what DeSoto was doing when he was moving through here, indeed, you know his movements through here, and there were the Spanish missions here. Right, they were the sources of tremendous amounts of destruction um, in culture and lives. Uh, the Appalachian go from uh, you know they 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 undergo almost a demographic collapse because indeed. of the Spanish, indeed. and not it's a. In a lot of ways, it's a it's a clearly violent thing. In a lot of ways, it's a mm. slow drain through disease mm. and exploitation. Mm. Mm. And yeah, I mean, even the Seminoles that you know of and the mm. Miccosukee as being here were only drawn here by the fact that the original population that was here, the Appalachian, <laughs> the Ocala, the Tamuqua, the Patano, I mean, they no longer existed by mm. that point. Mm. And so you think even something as as unique as the creation of this new identity, Seminole, is based off of a lot of sadness, mm -hmm. a lot of almost destruction. I don't know if destruction is a complete word, but I would I would use the word Decimation. transformation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. transformation, and that's not necessarily a, a good a good thing. thing. Certainly, cer certainly the altering of, and uh, the and it, it did include a lot of death. Uh, yeah, the seminal history itself is a story that have to be your next book, I suppose. You There's a chapter in there. Okay. But yes, that'll okay. have to be another project. That'll have to be another project. That's oh. what I originally, that's what that's what got me into history um, in grad school was uh, Seminoles in Florida. So Look it's something that. that's near and dear to me. Well, you certainly, though uh, you're not a Tallahassee native, I think you've brought to us a Tallahassee perspective, perhaps. When we do look at Florida's history, we look at our own history here locally. And a pleasure to have you with us today, uh, Dr. Kevin Kokomore whose book, once again, if you're paying attention, you might want to write this down, La Florida, Catholics, Conquistadors, and Other American Origin Stories. 
at a local bookstore near you or on Amazon. Be sure to uh, take a look and see if you can get that for somebody at Christmas time. In fact, buy two copies, one for yourself. All your friends. All my friends. Okay. Folks, that's what we do here uh, every week as we bring people like Dr. Kokomore to help you and I better appreciate all that we have experienced here in the Tallahassee area. Uh, Dr. Kokomore, thank you so much. That's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Indeed. I enjoyed it. Indeed. We're the production of Spatterwork Media and Entertainment coming to you from the studios of Moose Magnificat Radio, streaming 24-7 online at moosemagnificat.com, bringing you all local, all original, all the time. We call it the sound of Tallahassee. Carl Cerny is our executive producer, and I'll be looking for you again next week. So come on, Tallahassee. Come talk to me.